0: This is Journey Church Podcast. Here at Journey, we believe in encountering God and embracing people. From wherever you're listening, we hope you are encouraged by this week's message.
1: The kids just, because I wanted to make sure they were out of the room, because I have one of those tweens. And um, funny story, last year, I was up here and they record the sermon, and uh, my, my son was spending the night at his friend's house and he couldn't sleep. It's like midnight, he's, so he had his phone, and he's like, Mom, I went to the podcast, and I found you're speaking, and it put me to sleep. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for dismissing them. Um, we're going to talk today about movement again. We're continuing. I'm going to do a little brief recap, and then we're going to talk through Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. So if you have your Bible, that's where we're parking, pretty much. Um, but we're going to start back. We had an amazing speaker last week. So Ryan came in, and he talked about the persecution going on around the world right now and the work that they're doing. And I was so impacted. Um, I don't know if I was here, but, guys, wasn't it crazy to hear that what's happening around the world? And it's the same thing happening in the book of Acts. Like, Ryan went through the whole book of Acts. So I'm just going to go through one chapter. But what he was talking about... Uh, really resonated, and this week I actually was reading through some news articles, not on Meta, because that's not a thing anymore, but reading through a news article internationally, and they were talking about, in Pakistan this week, there was a gentleman who um, was accused of blasphemy. He was accused of ripping up a Koran, and the call went out to all the, and all the mosques in this town site, to attack the Christians, and so This man went into hiding, they got him out of town right away but everybody who was a known Christian in the community was um, harassed, persecuted, beaten, worse. All 17 churches in this area were um, just like church windows were crashed, everything was happening and so this is really real, it's still happening today. So when I'm reading scripture, I always try to come into it from a what would it look like if I was there, who are the players, who are the people. I'm a major reader, I love narration, and so we're going to recap a little bit to catch us up with where we are in the book of Acts, and then, oh, see, look at that, we have the recap, um, so yes, Jesus is back in heaven, the believers have waited for, and they've received the Holy Spirit, miracles are happening, good things are happening, people are getting saved, they're believing in Jesus, and they're becoming the followers of the way is what they're called. So the persecution is starting to elevate, and why the people were being persecuted who followed Jesus was because when Jesus came, he shook up the leaders of the day. So we don't have the same structures in place politically that they did back in that time, but back in that day, there was a high priest, and there was the temple and the church, and this was the central form of power and control for everyone. So someone who was the high priest at that time, they would have had control of all the finances. They would have had a say in how every penny was spent. They would have had a say in who made it, who didn't. This high priest was the only one who could go into the Holy of Holies. They were literally born and raised to be in this position of power. And it was a very powerful position. We don't really have a comparison. um, But the, the leaders of the day were shook up because Jesus didn't agree with what they were teaching. And he called them out on it. So this is part of why the persecution was so intense against the Christians. They thought it was heresy. So we heard how Stephen was murdered under the approval of Saul. So this was our first introduction to Saul. Um, many of you know him as Paul as well. And um, again, what, like, the story this week resonated because Stephen was accused falsely of blasphemy. So that, again, it happened then, it's happening now. This is the living word still relevant for today. Um, getting to know our players, we have Saul, otherwise known as Paul. Now, growing up, I've read the Bible my whole life, but I don't always know all the whys. And so I was researching why his name is different. <laughs> you know, some people had their names changed when they came to Christ. Saul didn't, so Saul's Hebrew, Paul is Greek. That's pretty much the right, and so we'll go back and forth between the two names, same guy. Just to clarify, Saul was born, What we do know about him, So just explaining who this man was. as He was a man born into privilege. He was a Roman citizen, so born, again, with inherent power. He was a Pharisee. It talks in Philippians that his Jewish heritage, his discipline and zeal were unmatched. This is is the guy. This is who everybody would go to. He was well-educated. He held a position of power and access to the leaders of the day. That high priest he was on a first-name basis with. He was actually contemporary in age to Jesus. So he would have been around the time of Jesus' death and resurrection and ministry. And so we don't know what it was. We don't know if he ever heard Jesus or what his personal connection was to Jesus at that time, but he was born around that same time. We also know he had an agenda to destroy a whole people group. He had no problem getting his hands dirty and being right in the middle of it. He thought what he was doing was right. He thought these people, these followers of the way, were heretics. So it was his duty and his right to eliminate this group. And again, this is something we've seen in our world today. So we're going to start reading in our... We're going to go through the whole chapter here. So Acts 9, 1-2. to Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women... He might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem." This was a big ask. It would be like walking up to the pope in the Vatican and saying, hey, can you write me 40 letters please? Um, This again just shows the position of power that Paul held. Another thing I really found interesting when I was reading this was that men and women were included in the order. Now if you understand the context of the day, women didn't really have power. They weren't accounted for. Even in some of the stories of Jesus, when Jesus fed the 5,000, it was 5,000 men. Women and children weren't even included in that number. So one of the little takeaways I had was women must have been causing enough of a ruckus <laughs> to be called out by name for this. So it was pretty encouraging. <laughs> so Saul, and Saul had the power. Yes, he's making these threats, and he's a terrifying individual. Now, can you imagine every day knowing there's somebody who absolutely hates you and wants to destroy you and your family and everything you have? You hold dear, and he's doing it, and he has the power and the right and the authority from the leaders of the day to do it. That's who Paul was. So we're going to go on to verses 3 to 6. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed round him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who are you persecuting, he replied. Now, this picture, so yes, the blinding light, that's pretty awesome. The voice from nowhere, nobody can see, that's pretty awesome. It's called a Christophany, an encounter with Christ. That's a big word. That's your $3 word for the day. Um, But what I loved about this is Jesus said, it's me. I'm the one you're persecuting. And so we've gone through stuff in our lives where we feel so alone, and we feel so Um, isolated, and we're in our pain, and we're damaged, damage, and, and God takes that very personally. Jesus takes your pain and every harm done to you so personally. It matters to him. So when he said, who is this? Jesus said, it's me, me you're persecuting. Whether we acknowledge God or not, he's right with us all the time, and he bears that with you. Jesus identified with the persecuted, and he clearly stated it was him, So this also kind of disrupts the whole heresy claim that Jesus was (laughs) not the son of God and that he was not risen. Jesus called it out and was like, it's me. I'm the one you're persecuting. I'm the one that you think is causing this heresy. I'm actually alive and well today. So he said, I am Jesus Here you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what to do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Paul got up from the ground but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus for three days. He was blind and he didn't eat or drink anything. Again, that image of that upside down kingdom. So the super powerful guy, all of a sudden had nothing. He was absolutely powerless before God. He couldn't even see. Another commentary I read said that this would have been happening at, the, um, at noon during the day. And in, in Bible times and other time, you didn't travel at noon because it was so hot, that was like your siesta time, you traveled in the morning or in the night, and the fact that this is the brightest part of the day, and this light was so brilliant that people saw it and he was blinded. It also shows how determined Saul was <laughs> to get where he was going and cause the damage he was doing. Then we go to, the story shifts a little bit, and we start talking about Ananias. So Ananias was a disciple, that's what we know about him, we don't know a whole lot else. But Ananias knew the voice of God. So in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, yes Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the nation of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he's praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. So this is a pretty terrifying vision. <laughs> um, I, when we watch movies and uh, things happen and the hero has to do like the big jump across the cave or there's some wild big thing that the person's asked for to save the world. I always just tell Jeremy, I was like, I'll just die. <laughs> no, I'm good. I don't want to do it. <laughs> I, I couldn't save the world. That's not my job. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do that jump. Um, but Ananias was called and he was being asked to go to literally a murderer, the person who had the legal right to jail him, and jail wasn't like jail today, like, it was hard jail, um, and so he heard this voice saying, you know, you're going to go to him, and he's going to have a vision that you're coming. I love how God always affirms his word, so this is a, this is kind of that, um, you know, Gideon talked about a fleece, but that idea, God affirms his word. He's like, He's going to be expecting you. He's gonna have a vision. Saying that um, a man named Ananias comes and places his hands on him and restores his sight. So now, okay, so maybe he's he's blind. <laughs> Great. That's good news. Maybe it's a little less scary. Uh, Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about the man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. I've made his complaint back to God. I don't want to do it. This is scary stuff. I don't want to do it. Sometimes God asks us for really big things. Um, I know I've been asked to, by God to do bigger things than I think I can do. Um, so many times in my life. But yet, every single time God's asked me and I surrendered, he's been the one who shows up. And we have examples in scripture like Ananias who, okay, God, this is really scary. This is from you. I hear your voice. I don't want to do it. Okay, but you're saying I'm going to do it. Let's go. The Lord said to Ananias, go. Just go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings, before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he has to suffer for my name. God telling Ananias right there again, I have a plan for him, even in this. You don't see it, what you see before you, you see the persecutor, you see the evil in that person, but you don't know who God has planned for that, or he didn't know the plan God had for Saul's life at that time. So, carrying on in our story, Ananias goes to the house. I love how God literally gave the straight directions. Go to the house on straight street, this is exactly where he's going to be. So he shows up, Ananias goes to the house, he enters it, he places his hands on Saul, and he says, brother, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Paul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So Ananias approached this person, He's walking up to a person who not only does he know by reputation but, pardon me, is living in probably pretty desperate fear of. And he walks up and he calls him brother. What he saw before him was not Saul the persecutor. He wasn't the person who was terrorizing the church. He saw a brother in Christ. And he may not have known that going in. But I have a feeling that when he walked in there, God overcame his fear and showed him who that person really was and he called him brother. How many people in our lives do we have a thought of who they are, and yet God has called us to call them brother? There's people sitting in the church who've heard us. There's people who, in our families, have heard us, yet God says, that's my child. You don't know the plan I have for that person. That's your brother. Um, the salvation story is a story of belonging. And I... I'm so humbled when I read through this and I hear the work of salvation because it's about that familiarity, that, the being in part of the family. So Ananias immediately was like, okay, I'm stepping out in faith, and I'm saying, my brother, God sent me here. Paul was prepared because God gave him a vision. Ananias was prepared, God gave him a vision, but they both actually had to do something with it. Immediately, something like scales fell from Paul's eyes and he could see. Um, It doesn't talk in scripture, but I'm making a pretty big assumption that, again, the scales from Paul's heart also fell, because uh, everything he was doing, he was doing in his mind of righteousness and holiness. He was doing it before what he felt was right before God. Saul didn't persecute the followers of the way because of any personal reason that we have recorded, but he persecuted them because this is what he felt God had called him to do. So God did a dramatic change in his motivations. Um, he gets up, he's baptized, ate some food, gets his strength, and then next, I'm assuming we, you guys will hear next week, when, spoiler alert, he goes out and starts preaching. So, it's a pretty fast story, and done. Um, the beauty of scripture is that we actually get to you know, read the whole chapter and, and get to see it from the end. But what we don't get to talk about or see Sometimes in our own stories, we don't get to see the end of that chapter. We are just in the middle sometimes. I'm, I'm in the middle of my story. I don't know what my last part of my chapter is. Uh, sometimes, you know, the plot thickens. Sometimes it takes a little sideways turn. But yet, I know that I know that I know that I know my story is in God's hands. Paul, Paul's story was in God's hands, and he experienced salvation. So we're going to do a little bit of fancy church talk, so I'll break it down. Uh, Salvation is literally deliverance from sin and its consequences by faith in Jesus Christ. Sounds pretty churchy. Um, But what that actually looks like is a turning as well from everything that we know. So when when Paul got saved, again that churchy term, what would it look like to walk out this conversion? Paul was a man who held a lot of power. He held a lot of authority. He had very powerful allies. He probably was fairly well-to-do, again, considering his life of privilege. And yet, he was not an old man. He was probably in his 30s, mid to late 30s. And all of a sudden, in this one encounter, he has to change everything about himself in so many ways. He loses his power. He loses his allies. He loses his family, possibly, friends, peers, because they would have been united in a a goal or a vision. He probably lost the respect of the people that were around him because, you know, if you're not going about threatening and murdering people, um, it's like a toothless line. It's not really scary anymore. So that's a pretty big loss. Um, And possibly his identity. You know, again, all of these things were losses when he came to the saving knowledge of Jesus. But... What's really crazy is that he goes on to write in Philippians that I count everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus as my Lord. Everything he considered a loss. This man of power and position, that was nothing. He knew what really mattered. Paul would have had to interact with the very people that he was persecuting day by day. So the, the church at that time was very small. They were meeting in homes. You know, daily there was numbers added. Um, You know, they had 3,000 one day, a couple more here, a couple more there. But this is a pretty small group of people we're talking about. It's a pretty small world. And Paul was very zealous in his persecution. So he would have been in these homes of people that families he'd ripped apart, people he had treated unjustly. Over and over again, he would have been encountering the same people that he had oppressed and abused. That was the cost of salvation for him, and he considered it a loss. Um, what I find miraculous in this story is like, yes, the whole miracle, like I said, the blinding light, the voice, it's pretty awesome studio effects, but um, what I find so amazing about this story is that Paul didn't let shame hold him because uh, I have a definition here. There's a, Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we're flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Paul did a lot of damage. He caused so much pain. And I'm going to stop and say, God didn't allow Paul to do those actions so that he could be glorified more. God doesn't actually cause pain. God will allow pain to happen, he'll use it for his good, but God does not cause trauma. God does not cause destruction in our lives. God is good. His mercies endure, but God is good. We will experience pain and brokenness because this is a very broken world, but God does not cause our trauma so that he can do a miraculous healing. Um, Some of the ways that shame can show itself you know, so Paul, again, Paul got up, he got baptized, goes out, starts preaching, the next day, pretty much, is how the story reads. Yet, I still think he, there was a lot that he had to face. Shame can hold us, we can get saved, we can come to saving knowledge of Jesus and say, yes, I'm saved, and I, you know, Jesus is my savior, and we can pray, and we can sit here, and we can come to church, and we can do things, but then, how many of us let God actually heal us, and do the sanctification work? By his Spirit, How many of us are still trapped in some of those old cycles, behaviors, or thought patterns that hold us back when God has called us to freedom? The message of the gospel is a loving, compassionate God who cares so much about you that he doesn't want you resting in that old stuff and that shame. And he calls you to freedom. So, guys, if you're sitting here today and there's those presses of those old behaviors and those old thought patterns and you feel flawed and not worthy of love, there's freedom. I promise you. Other ways we cope with shame is denial. We deny it or we numb. Sometimes we overachieve. We have to earn our place because we have, you know, Paul could have said, okay, I'm going to become the best apostle ever because I've done this, this, and this, and I need to earn my keep. That wasn't his thoughts. We also punish ourselves in self-destructive ways. We isolate Again, Paul could have said, I'm saved, I have fire insurance. Okay, I'm from a child of the 80s. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Get saved, you know, you're saved from house. It's they used to call it fire insurance. <laughs> really bad joke. I can tell bad jokes too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we can sit there and say, okay, I'm saved, and I can come to church every Sunday and say, thank you, God, that I'm saved, and sit here and not allow God to continue to move and not walk out the calling that he's placed on our lives. Because I'm gonna say that every person here has a call on your life, and it is up to you to allow God to move. He's not gonna force you. God will never force you. He's so gentle and so compassionate, and he doesn't hold our sins against us. He doesn't say, you did this back in 1985, so you are not fit for this. That's not how God works. He's a God who loves us, and he's full of compassion. Shame lies and says that we're unworthy. God says, you are worthy. You are loved. You matter. You matter so much that nothing else can separate us. Paul could have also said that everything he encountered later on, you know, you go on to read his life story, and he's shipwrecked and He's beaten, and he's jailed, and all all this terrible stuff happening. Paul could have said I deserved all that because of how I treated the believers, but he didn't. That would be yet another lie and shame enacting itself. Paul actually considered all of this a loss. Remember, it wasn't worthy for him to suffer for the cross, that's still a loss. Everything is a loss because he knew who Jesus was and he knew his identity. He knew he was loved. He knew he had a call on his life. And all he could do was get up every day and say, what next? He didn't lay back and say, I guess I deserve that beating today. I guess I deserve this pain. So if anybody's here sitting and you've, you've lived through some pretty painful stuff or you're going through stuff and you say, I deserve this, that's a lie. Can I just call it out of what it is? God does not cause us pain he is a god who loves you he is there with you in your pain and your pain matters but he does not cause it um paul is also the one who penned these famous lines um that i love and i go back to over and over again there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus so again paul had a lot of reasons to he was guilty of a lot of things and he had reasons on a human scale to feel shame, yet, look at what he wrote. It's pretty awesome. There's times where, um, you know, it's funny when you prepare for something like this, it triggers everything inside of you. <laughs> and so it's great. I went back home, saw some, you know, I left home the day after I graduated, and so I go home, I can be, it's about 10 hours away, semi-regularly, and so, you know, you go back home oh, man, you think of every wrong thing you did as a teenager. (laughs) You think of all the things and all the shame and everything was trying to come at me. And I was like, no, uh uh-uh. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I am called to be here today. I am called, and God loves me. And so um, I encourage you guys, whatever it is you're walking through, if this is bringing up stuff, preach the gospel to yourself. Uh, There's a a fellow's name is Jerry Bridges, and I read his book with one of my mentees once. And every chapter, he said probably seven times, preach the gospel to yourself. And it was funny, because it's been years now since we've read that book together, and she still says, are you preaching the gospel to yourself? (laughs) Like, yes. So when those shame things come up, those shame tapes, and the enemy tries to remind you of why you don't deserve it, say, thanks be to God, I don't, but because of God, I do, and I can Next, we're going to talk a little bit about sanctification. So sanctification is another fancy church word that I'm going to break down a little bit. And this is the progressive work of the Holy Spirit. It's a really fancy term, but it just says, it's the process of transforming. It's the process of transforming a person to a holy and righteous life, evidenced by an identity based on who God says you are, and the fruits of the Spirit evidenced in your life lived out in your character. This is what we want. We want to be more like Jesus. I want to live a life, when people think of me, they think that that person loved me. I want to live a life of peace. I want to live a life where people say that person, like Becky, she loved me. She knew God, and I could tell that she loved me, no matter what. And I have journeyed with some people in my day that In this world, they have not experienced love. They have experienced the complete opposite. And they've experienced so much abuse and pain and trauma. Yet, God. Yet, God. And so these are people who the world would um, not consider worthy of time and investment. And yet, God has done such miraculous work. It's really great when we can hear people share their testimony, and it's this big, wild, amazing testimony of how God has saved their life, and they've gone from, you know, a terrible upbringing to now having their master's degree and leading. But what about the sanctification process that's consistently happening in their lives? It doesn't just happen like that. We're all on a process of sanctification, and it's not done. And sadly, never will be done until we are in heaven. So give yourself a breath. It's okay. If you're not there yet, it's okay. Paul knew that struggle was real. And he had this amazing, miraculous encounter with God. And we don't know what happened in the details of his heart. We can make a lot of assumptions, but that sanctification was not done. Paul knew forgiveness. And he embraced it, and I'm willing to bet he leaned on that every single day. There would be days where things would come up and he would want to go into old behaviors. Again, if you're a person of power, and all of a sudden you're powerless, our natural tendency is to gather that power again. But he actually fought that. You read through the books he wrote, and he talks consistently in that upside-down kingdom paradigm. God must become greater, I must become less. There's so many things about the humility that he embraced. Um, Sorry, guys. I have a lot of notes. (laughs) I also want to highlight, too, with Paul, that even though God changed him and transformed him, and he was this person of power that would have been possibly remembered historically if he had stamped out this heretic way, um, god used who he was god used his education god used his place of privilege to further his kingdom so even though he had to surrender all of those positions and all that power god used those exact things to promote his word paul was able to stand before kings literally kings he was able to write he became an author he wrote he's credited 13 books of the bible um, it's funny I, I googled him just to see what came up and the Encyclopedia Britannica actually calls Paul the most influential person in the Bible next to Jesus. Paul wouldn't have wanted that. That wasn't his goal. His goal was to live a life worthy of the calling he received, and that meant every day waking up and saying, God, what is next? He didn't position or posture himself to be a leader. He followed Jesus. That's it. That's all he did, and so each of us here That's our position and our posture, is Jesus, what do you need from me next? The message in the gospel is also one of freedom. And it's funny, because it came through even in the video today uh, with the kids. And my kiddos went to camp. They came home camp sick. Um, Apparently when you're up till two o'clock in the morning and worshiping in loud decibels and in a mosh pit, um, there's a lot of germs that get spread. This is why we don't have a mosh pit in church on Sunday. <laughs> um, but yet, yeah, the kids came home and, and my youngest was talking about freedom. And he's like, Mom, God God calls us to freedom. And this is a message these kids got. And if, if we can give this to the next generation, if we can live this out before them, that God is a God who loves us and he calls us to freedom. And he is not a God who sits there pointing a finger of shame. He comes to heal our shame so that we can walk in Him. I am so grateful, again, for our leaders, our youth leaders, and our people who are leading our kids because, man, it makes a difference. But as parents and as adults in our kids' lives, we still have a huge responsibility to leave this out. So if we're telling our kids it is worth living and God calls you to freedom, then how dare we not do the same thing? So. Last night I just wanna talk about standing in that freedom. This is a huge deal, guys. We have to stand. We can't say you are free and God is God of love and then point fingers condemn. That's not okay. We need to stand in that freedom, walk in it, and love like Jesus loved. There's a call on each of our lives and it's great. I mean, I pray for my kids and I pray that they will see how God moves. But they have to see it in me first. They have to see my trust in God And they can't see me cowering in shame and saying, God, I can't do it. They have to see me say, God, what next? What next? And as a family, we pray that. God, what next? (laughs) Um, Don't allow yourself to get caught up in the small things. Don't allow yourself to get caught up in the voices that lie. Preach the gospel to yourself. Get grounded. Stand firm in who God has called you to be and the freedom he has called you to walk in. And if you're struggling with that, reach out. Man, shame loves isolation. So if there's stuff in your life that's holding you back, this is why we come together. This is why we have the church. This is why we have friends and people who will lift us up. If you're new here, come and talk to us. Come talk to me. We're here. This is a big deal. Don't let shame or sin keep you from your purpose. You don't know what God has been planned for you and in the lives of those around you. And if you allow yourself to be held back, you're actually causing hurt to other people. So again, there's yet another reason for you people who are people pleasers. <laughs> um, deal with our stuff so that we can walk in freedom and love well. The last thing I do, I do want to add on, to is um, walking in faith. So the journey, the Christian faith is a journey. And we need to ask God audaciously for big things. And I was convicted pretty hard this week because I have a friend who's journeying through some tough stuff and um, I asked to pray with them. And I held back. I prayed, but I prayed, you know, God just comfort this person and walk with them. And, and I was so convicted because I'm like, God, how dare I not ask audaciously for something huge and a miracle to happen in her life? So whatever it is you're struggling with today, guys, I just want to say God's big enough. And He cares about you so much. Don't be afraid to ask audaciously. Don't be afraid. I used to, I have a friend, he always used to say, hindsight's 2020, and he's like, or sorry, faith comes in hindsight 2020. is you can look back and see how God moved in his life over and over and over again, but in the moment it didn't seem like it. So I just want to encourage you, ask God, what is it you want from me? What's holding me back? And then surrender it. Get into groups. We have small groups coming in the fall. Get into groups. Cling to the people around you and let people speak into your life. Share your story. Don't let shame hide you. And with your vulnerability, you actually engage others. This is how we find freedom in Christ. So, yeah, I just want to say thank you guys. Um, and I just encourage you. If we, If you want prayer today, come on up. Let's talk about this. Let's pray. Let's see how God can work audaciously in our, in our midst. And if you are someone who also has, um, you know, has a story where they need to share it, come share. Dave's here, Jess, myself, the prayer team. Let's pray for you. Let's pray with you that you can walk in freedom and accept that love of God, not be held back by saying I'm not worth it because that's a lie.
0: Thank you, Becky. All across this room, just bow your heads right where you are. I'm going to take a minute and we're going to worship. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Maybe in this moment right here, right now, you're just hearing these words and you're saying, yeah, just, I've been walking in shame. You know, maybe some of you are just kind of saying, yeah, I I wish I was that example to my kids. I, I haven't been. And I feel really bad. I feel like, My kids are off the rails and it's all my fault. And that would be the enemy lying to you today. But also there is a responsibility as parents, as leaders, as single men and women. You are not just living your own life for yourself. You're living it to to be an example of those around you. And so every one of us has a role to play. But don't walk in shame. Walk in the freedom that God has for us today. We're just going to worship this morning, but I want you to just open your hearts to what Jesus wants to say to you in this moment. Eliminate the shame from your life. God, come and breathe in us right now. Would you stand to your feet all across this room? Just open our hearts. Allow Holy Spirit to speak. Just take some time as we worship together, as we sing, as we hear the voice of the Lord. Thank you for joining us today on Journey Church Podcast. For more information about our ministry, visit myjourney.church.